Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. Today's guest is Lorraine Ross. Lorraine is a World Cup Alpine ski racer. She's been in five world championships and raced in the 2014 and 2018 Olympic Games. She has two World Cup podiums, many top 10 results, and is ranked one of the top 10 best speed skiers in the world. But, she says, a successful Olympic athlete is not all that she aspires to be. She's also an avid practitioner of mindfulness and meditation. I had the chance to work with Lorraine at Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College in a 10-day program for transitioning military and elite athletes called Next Step. We got to know one another there, but we are going to learn a lot more about Lauren on today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Um, I got to hang out with a couple teammates here in Colorado. I just started skiing again. I'm in Copper Mountain, so nice. Um, I'm not. I wasn't able to be with my family, but I'm here with some teammates, and we made a lot of food and had a good time. There you go. That's what it's all about: having a good time yeah. with friends and family, or family, I guess. So, yeah. kind of, a, I've kind of lost track on on social media. I know you've had some traveling going on, and you said you're in Copper Mountain, and if I remember correctly, I think you had traveled to Costa Rica. Uh, what else have you been up to since, uh, I guess, since we last saw one another? Um, well, after Costa Rica, I went home for a couple of weeks and I did a couple random trips, you know, up to see family in Canada. I'm originally Canadian, so I uh, spent some time up there with some relatives and uh, I went out to Park City, Utah to do some physical testing. Um, to make sure that I could pass and get back on snow, which is how I got here. Um, and then I went over to New York for a U.S. ski team event. Uh, I went home for a little bit and I traveled to L.A. and back to Utah. And now I'm I'm back here in Colorado skiing. So it's been kind of busy, but it's been good. And I've been prepping for for this week right here of skiing and getting back on snow. So it's been fun. Yeah. I love the powder out there in Utah that salt Lake really makes it. I mean, it's perfect. That's the last time I skied was, uh, well, not on, not on, uh, not in park city, but on powder mountain. So a little further North, but I love it up there. It's awesome. Oh yeah. They have such good snow in yeah, the winter. Yeah, Amazing. For sure. So, okay, before we get into our questions, um, for our listeners who may not know, so this is only our second episode, um, I just want to kind of explain what Veterans Path does and then kind of explain the idea behind the, the podcast. So Veterans Path introduces veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in the outdoor settings, so that they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor, and that's where the word path and our name comes from. 
And the point of the podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. So that said, um, let's kind of get into this. And, and before we get into your athletic background, if we could start off by letting our audience know a little bit more about you, maybe some of your hobbies, you mentioned being from Canada, your, your family makeup, whatever you want the audience to know about you. Okay, yeah, I've got a million hobbies. Um, I tend to spread myself a little thin, <laughs> but um, I'm grateful to have some balance. So I, uh, yeah, I came from Canada. Uh, I was born in Alberta in 1988, and I moved to Oregon when I was seven in 1995 with my family. And um, my family grew up um, all, everybody who was around me was a really talented musician. So I grew up playing the piano. Um, I started playing the piano when I was two. And then um, I kind of transferred over to the violin when I was nine. And I played that throughout my childhood. Um, and actually all the way until I was like 20, um, 20 to 22, actually. And then I picked up the guitar. Just the guitar has been a little bit friendlier for traveling. And it's a little to more tolerable for my teammates <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to practicing the same Vivaldi bars over and over. You know, I can play and sing on the guitar and people can join in. So I bring my guitar everywhere I go. Um, I'm also I'm going to University of Oregon. I've got one term nice. left. I only take one term a year because of my skiing career. So that's kind of all it really allows for. Um, so I'm getting really close to finishing that and I'm getting my degree in art. So I've been doing a lot of digital art lately just because it's really easy to travel with. Um, but I've taken photos my whole life. My grandpa gave me a film camera when I was about 10. And so I started playing with that when I was really young and, and I kind of became obsessed with that. So I, I travel with film cameras and digital cameras and my camera collection is pretty absurd, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of one of my like art practices that I can take on the road easily. Um, but I love, I, I don't know, I have such a hard time choosing. I love everything. I love ceramics. I love photography. When I'm home, I mountain bike a lot for cross-training. Um, and I also really like rock climbing. Um, I think in mountain biking and rock, rock climbing, there are a lot of similarities to skiing as far as like your mental state goes. So I, I try to do those a lot for cross-training. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm into so many things. It's kind of absurd. I write a lot. I have a blog. Um, I'm in the process of, of running a short run publication of a, of a photo book that I've just created. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place, but I really uh, enjoy the balance. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you've got a lot going on, but like you said, the balance there, and, and I love that you mentioned kind of the mental state on on mountain biking and rock climbing being the same as, as i'm sure you experience in that downhill skiing i mean um can you comment a, a little bit about that i mean what do you mean by that mental state being the same I, i'm assuming you're very focused on like each handhold um or or as you're mountain biking i'm, I'm assuming you're you know very focused on every turn uh, or whatever so you have to be there in the moment yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, mountain biking 
is really similar tactically. So in skiing, you pit, you inspect a course and you pick out a line that you want to take and you really have to plan, um, you know, where you're going to put your body through a turn. Got it. Yeah. So mountain biking is really mental because you're going pretty fast and a lot of the tracks are, you know, they're difficult and, um, they're scary and that's how skiing is. Um, so that really relates to skiing and you, and you get to go really fast mountain biking. Climbing is a little bit different cause you're, you're actually moving really slowly, right. but it's incredibly scary as well. Just cause you're on, especially when you're sport climbing, you're on, you know, you're on a sheer rock face, you're really exposed, um, and messing up a move or messing up clipping into a draw can mean a really big fall. And that kind of relates to skiing, how, you know, you can make one small mistake and it can all go wrong. So I really enjoy that state of flow that I find in, in climbing and in mountain biking. So on the, on the climbing, it's not just climbing in a rock gym. You're actually going out there into nature, climbing on your own. Are you doing lead climbing or do you have a lead climber ahead of you or how does that work? Yeah, I do lead climbing. Um, I, got into climbing probably about 12 years ago. Um, and I do both bouldering and sport climbing. I've done, I've done a couple multi-pitch actually I've done a bunch of multi-pitch routes. Um, and yeah, I do lead climb because I find that that is the scariest and the, the best mental training that you can get in climbing. So that's something that I really enjoy. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, um, I'll, I'll jump into our, like my scripted questions, if you will. Um, so, you know, I got your bio and it mentioned you're getting up on skis at a very young age. How old were you when you first got up on skis? I was less than two years old. That's crazy. <laughs> I think I was like, I know, yeah. right? I think I was 18 wow. months. Yeah, I've got, old. I've got a two and a half year old daughter and we bought her skis. Uh, and we, funny enough, we were out at Park City to do some skiing. And yeah, she was not having it. And she, th- this was a year ago. So she was, <laughs> I guess, 18, 18 months old and yeah, not having it, but we're going to try again this winter. So she's two and a half now. So we're hoping she'll get up on them, but wow, that's, that's crazy. It's, yeah. It's tough when you're really small, sure. um, because you just don't have the, you know, you don't have the size and it's hard to keep up with people. And it's really hard to have that control. Like you really have to have uh, body awareness and that's not really something you have when you're <laughs> young. So you're kind of just like throwing yourself down yeah. the hill, you know, at that age. So that can be hard to get, to get used to or to actually learn how to love it. But I think I loved it right away. Yeah. So, I mean, you loved it at two years old. I mean, I'm sure you don't have memories of that. How long was it before you actually started racing? So I started racing when I was, I think I was six or seven. Um, and I actually have a really clear memory of one of my first races. I was in Lake Louise, Alberta, and I remember going down the course and looking around and it was snowing and there was, there were beautiful snow piles on all of the pine tree branches. And I remember kind of looking around and when you're young, you're not really like too concerned with, you know, going super fast or like making all the gates right, right. <laughs> going around the right sides of the gates. But I remember looking around and feeling like I was flying and 
it was just such a magical moment. Like it felt like I was flying through this like magical world of all this sparkly snow. And I felt like I was, I was really free. And that was, that was one of my first really special memories of skiing. So that's what resonated with you was the kind of just the imagery and the feeling of being free. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. I'm assuming, like you said before, that's what resonates with you about the mountain biking and the rock climbing is just being out there in nature. Uh, but, uh, and the, I mean, there's different aspects to it all, but that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. How fast, um, how fast do you go when you're skiing? You mentioned going fast. I mean, not so fast when you were young, but you mentioned going fast now. How fast are you traveling? So typically in downhill, you go anywhere between, I mean, obviously you, you push out of the start gate and you're not going super fast, but you get up to speed really quickly. And I think the average speed on a downhill is between 60 and 70 miles an hour. So the fastest, yeah, I think the fastest I've ever been clocked at was like 135 kilometers an hour. So that's like 80 something miles an hour. And that's that's taking turns and everything too. So, I mean, you're not just going straight down the hill, you're going, you're going around curves, you're going through gates. I mean, that's, yeah, (laughs) that's, you're going over terrain, you know, you're going off jumps. Like it's not just, yeah, yeah, you're not just going straight. Sure. We, we watch it on TV, but I don't know that we can gain a full appreciation for what it is you're experiencing. Well, I mean, the fastest I've ever gone, is like 50 and that was this past winter and and that was, you know, clocked on a phone. Um, and that was, that was like (laughs) the, by far the fastest I've ever gone. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, It's certainly not what you're doing. So, um, as far as like locations that you've competed, what was your absolutely favorite location uh, for competing and, and why? Um, so on the World Cup circuit, we tend to go back to the same locations almost every year. Okay. And I've got a couple of favorites. Um, I, well, I got my first, po- my first World Cup podium was in Garmisch, oh, Partenkirchen. I love Garmisch. It's yeah. So beautiful. And that's a great, that's such a great spot because one of my favorite parts about being Garmish is there's an American military yeah, base there. Like the, uh, and so, the Edelweiss. We, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The Edelweiss. So we get a lot of American fans Great, and that's not something that we get really anywhere else because most of the world cup races are in Europe. So that's something that's really nice. special that I love going back to Garmisch for, um, so Garmisch is, Garmisch is really fun and special in that way, but a couple of other favorites are, um, Lake Louise, Alberta. It's kind of, you know, close to my heart because it is where I grew up skiing and it's just gorgeous there. The Canadian Rockies are insane. Um, and then Cortina, Italy is also amazing. The, the track is always prepared really well and that there are a lot of fans there. So that's a really fun race. And then, um, Val d'Isere France is another one of my favorites. Yeah. So they're all, all your favorites for different reasons. It seems. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So since, um, since we left tuck, uh, next step together, and that's part of the introduction that's covered. How's your, uh, how's your training been going? It's been going really well. I started training when I got home from Costa Rica, that was right after tuck. I started training really hard um, and, you know, getting in the gym twice a day and and going out on my mountain bike a lot um, because I knew I had to get in really good shape in order to pass physical testing so I could get back on my skis. 
Um, so I, I've been training really hard and I've uh, been doing a lot of rehab too because I'm coming back from an injury right now, a knee injury. Right. So I've been, um, you know, in the gym and at physical therapy. On average, probably I'm training like six hours a wow. day. So, so it's a yeah, lot. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think um, in our texting prior to you, you mentioned, um, you know, your land training and then your your I guess your ski training. So <clears throat> you mentioned, excuse me, you mentioned the obviously the mountain biking to get in shape. So when you have your land training, uh, and that's that's all gym stuff, or what does that consist of exactly? Yeah, so dry land dry training, land. It, we spend a yeah, we spend a lot of time in the gym, um, lifting weights, doing a lot of strength work. So you got to have really strong legs and glutes and hamstrings. And, and it's really important to have a really strong core as well. So we do a lot of gym training on those elements. Um, but I really enjoy the cross training the most. Honestly, I love getting out on my mountain bike and knowing that that's benefiting my skiing, not just my fitness, but also, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it benefits your tactical focus sure. and choosing that. Uh, line. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah exactly. Choosing gotcha. the line. And so, do you, you mentioned we? You have uh, training partners. Is that the team that's going through that together, or is it? What does that look like? Yeah. So the the U.S. ski team has um, different trainers. Uh, I've gone through a couple different trainers through my career and they kind of write out your program. So I used to live in park city, Utah during the summers. That's where the U S ski team is based right. out of. Um, so I spent a lot of time there when I was younger, but as I've gotten older, I've, um, come to really understand my body well and know, know what I need and know how to structure my training correctly for, you know, for my injuries and for my specific um, body issues that I have acquired over the years of skiing. Um, and so I'm, I'm able to train more at home in Oregon now, which is really wonderful because I get to be home with my family and my partner. So, um, I get to live more in Oregon now, which is, which is really wonderful. Gotcha. So, um, we mentioned how fast you can go, um, as you're skiing downhill or are you, What's going through your mind when you're traveling at 70 miles an hour down a hill, through gates, you know, over hills, around corners? Uh, what What is, what's running through your mind at that time? Well, so I mentioned tactics earlier and um, visualizing the course is really important before you actually send yourself down it. It's really important to know where you're going so you can make, make the right moves and, um, adjust your line according to, you know, where you are in the course. So that's a huge part is getting to know the course during inspection and being able to visualize that before you actually go down the course. Um, so when you get on the course, you're not so much having to think about where to put your body and, um, how to ski. Like once you, once I get in the start gate of a world cup or, or a big event race, like world championships or the Olympics, the ideal state that I like to be in is just to let go of all of my focuses and to really just think about going fast. Okay. So it's important to be able to, you know, have confidence 
in your skiing and have confidence in the course and know that you, you trust that you know where you're going so that you can just let go. Yeah, that's that's perfect because that was actually kind of I'm kind of going off script here. I know I sent you some some ideas for questions, but uh, that was my next kind of idea right. or, or question is kind of what's going through your mind when you're right at the top of that hill, uh, right when you're in that starting gate, but you kind of answered that. So I, like I mentioned, it kind of got off script and we'll get back on here. Um, before we get into the meditation and mindfulness practices that you mentioned, I just want to take a second here to put in a quick plug for some of our sponsors. Okay, welcome back. Uh, getting back into the questions here with Lauren Ross. Uh, so Lauren, uh, I know you've been healing from an accident earlier this year and you've had a series of crashes throughout your career. When was your first accident? And how did you go about getting back onto your skis after that? Uh, my first accident was, well, I mean, I've had many, many crashes throughout my life. Yeah, <laughs> But sure. um, my first major accident was I was, I was 18 and it was my first year on the U.S. ski team. Um, and I was at a North American cup race up in Panorama, British Columbia, and I flew off a jump and just kind of went off a little bit too loaded, flew up in the air really high and came down on my side. Um, and this was in super G. So I was probably going like 60 miles an hour, I'm guessing. Mm. And I, I, uh, crashed pretty hard and basically shattered my pelvis, um, broke my sacrum and my coccyx and dislocated my shoulder. Jeez. Yeah, it was brutal, but, um, it wasn't the worst crash I've had, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So yeah. what, what is the worst crash you've had? If that, if that is not the worst, what is the worst you've had? Well, that one, that crash was, was bad because I had such a bad concussion. Uh-huh. And, um, that was pretty hard to recover from, sure. but as far as like bodily injuries go, um, I had a really, really bad knee injury two and a half years ago. And that was right before the 2018 Olympics. So it was that it was at the very end of the two, 2017 ski season. Um, I was at us nationals competing in giant slalom, which is an event I don't normally do. Um, but I crashed and, I, um, basically destroyed my knee. I tore my ACL, my LCL, my medial and lateral meniscus. Um, I broke my tibial plateau. I dislocated my tip fib joint and I, um, I tore my popliteal fibular ligament. Jeez. So, yeah, so that was brutal. That was a really, really, really painful injury and a really, really difficult one to come back from, especially because, the Olympics in Pyeongchang were 10 months later. So that was definitely the toughest thing I've yeah. gone through. So you mentioned coming back from that. How, how do you physically recover from that? And then if you could go into how do you mentally get back up on skis after that? Yeah, I honestly think, I mean, the physical recovery was gruesome and it was, you know, nonstop 10 months of, really, really hard work, physical therapy, work in the gym, um, taking care of myself, like trying to recover right and make sure that I wasn't in pain. And, um, the, actually the most difficult part of that injury and a lot of other injuries is the mental 
aspect because yeah, it's so hard to get back out there and want to really send it and go really fast when you know the risk that you're taking because sure. you've been through the whole injury recovery thing before. Um, so yeah, the mental, the mental part is definitely the most difficult. Yeah. So, um, in, in veterans path, like what we're trying to teach veterans is the life changing and life saving practices of, of meditation and mindfulness. And, and I know when we were at Tuck together, you mentioned meditation is a big part of your life that you meditate regularly. Can you describe, uh, what got you into meditation and what your daily or however often you practice what that looks like? Yeah. So I think what first got me into meditation was actually that original, the first injury I had went back when I was 18. Um, when I broke my pelvis, uh, I had some time on my hands, you know, I had to recover for six weeks of non weight bearing. So I had some time to really consider my recovery and how I wanted to go about coming back and getting back on my skis. And I actually heard about meditation from a friend. Um, and I had obviously heard about it in the past and I don't know, there's, there are a lot of preconceived notions about meditation and how it's just kind of like woo woo, you know, (laughs) absolutely. It's, it's out there. It's like hippie stuff. That's one of the reasons we do that. We're doing this show is to to kind of break that stigma. Exactly. Yeah. I'm really glad you're doing that because it's such, it's become such an imperative part of my life and my being, being a ski racer and part of my career. And I think it really helped me through that first recovery. And at first it was really informal. You know, I would just kind of like sit with my thoughts, um, and try to, work through those and like understand how I was really feeling because I, I guess I didn't want to block everything out. I wanted to figure out how to work through it. Mm -hmm. And that was a really big part, a really big piece in figuring that out was, you know, sitting down and, and actually listening to my thoughts and listening to my body. It really helped help me with body awareness too. Nice. Yeah. So what, what are the additional effects, positive effects, negative effects that you have found through your practice? Oh my gosh. So many positive effects. (laughs) Um, I, I can, I can sit back and be in a situation where normally I would be really reactive and actually come to my thoughts and understand them just as thoughts. You know, they're not real. They're Mm -hmm. just, things that are floating through your mind and, um, trying to come to terms with those. Um, I'm able to, you know, have much healthier relationships because of that. And, uh, I feel like I really know myself a lot better, which has been a a big bonus of meditation. Uh, Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I got into it was that it, it allowed me to communicate better with those I love allow me to be more present in the moment with those I love. So that's a, that's yeah. a huge benefit. Uh, so, you know, we touched on kind of the preconceived notions or the stereotypes of, of meditators. Um, when you tell people about your practicing meditation or mindfulness, what's the typical response that you get? Um, I've gotten all kinds of responses, but I guess the typical response is just like a, uh-huh. Okay. Like, <laughs> 
okay crazy yeah yeah. (laughs) like they don't say it but you can see it you can you can feel that um that judgment and that's kind of hard but it's also such a wonderful conversation to have because I feel like I've opened that avenue for other people and that's been something that I'm I'm really really proud of and beautiful yeah and I feel like having the following and you know, all the fans and the people that are watching me, being able to influence people in that positive way has been really meaningful. Sure. So, so how, how would you recommend, so somebody has this perception, right? Um, and you want to tell them about meditation. How would you recommend we change that perception of meditation and mindfulness? Um, I mean, I think, definitely touting the benefits is a is a big thing and honestly i think it really just you have to just sit down and do it and um i think helping people to understand how it how it works is really important and i think that means actually taking them through a practice or you know giving them the resources they need to take themselves through a practice I personally, I've been to a couple meditation classes and, and courses, but I, I normally meditate on my own because I find that that space is a lot more free um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't have to worry about other people. So right. I think it's really important to just start by yourself and just experiment and see if it's right for you. Yeah, I agree. And, and kind of a, a conversation that I had with uh, my last guest, Mark Devine, is, is – um, you know, it's, it's not something that you're going to feel immediately and it's something that you have to do regularly. It's not something you can do once a week for a couple of months and expe- expect these massive changes. It's something you have to have daily discipline practice on or, or at least regular practice. Um, so if it's not Definitely. daily, you know, trying to get it in as, as often as you can. Or if you can't sit down for 15 to 20 minutes, trying to do it, you know, two minutes here, two minutes there throughout your day prior to maybe a stressful situation or be prior to a big event throughout your day, whatever the case may be. And it all adds up. So you have like this cumulative effect over time. That's when I started yeah. noticing, uh, you know, I went into the psychologist that recommended it to me. I went in after two weeks and I was like, hey, man, this is not working for me. And he kind of laughed at me and it's like, well, that's that's because you've only been doing it for two weeks. And it's like you can't go to the gym for two weeks and expect to be the superhero. You have to do it for time, uh, an extended period of time. And after I had started doing it for a couple of months, that's when I started to see subtle changes. And then I kept on doing it even further. And, and since then, I've, I've seen huge changes in who I am and, and how I deal with stress, how I deal with others. So you, you just have to dedicate the time to sit down and do it, like you said. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the morning. I always meditate um, basically right when I wake up. Um, and I wake up and I'm like, I don't have time to do this today, but I, I make myself do it because I know it makes my day so much better. And I, I take that half an hour and it really, really pays off. I'm more productive with the work that I'm doing. I'm more productive on the ski hill. Um, I'm more productive in my relationships and in my art and I'm more creative. And so it's just, it's really a matter of, you know, figuring, figuring out, how much you need to to make it pay off right yeah it's i think uh, a lot of people say you know it's 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 a simple practice but it's not easy not easy to do exactly so, I mean, it's it's 
it's simple if you set aside some time, but setting aside that time is not easy to do. And then absolutely more productive, more creative. Those are all things that kind of in my side gig that I have where I teach mindfulness and meditation. Those are some of the things that I teach specifically or are some of the immediate benefits that you start seeing is, is uh, more productive and more creative. So um, as, as we start to head into the kind of the end of the show here, um, if, if anyone had questions they wanted to ask you, uh, how would they go about connecting with you? So I've got a forum on my blog, on my website. Okay. Um, and I've actually built a few substantial relationships from there. Um, just from having people comment on some of my posts and, and stuff like that. But I've got, um, a website and it's just my name, lorenross.com. So, okay. lorenross.com. Lorenross.com. And okay. I've got a lot of blog posts on there. So you can comment on a blog post. Um, there is a survey that's like under my bio. Um, and se- if you send me your information, I can be in touch with you that way via email. Nice. Um, but yeah, I've, I've met a lot of interesting people from my blog and from the comments that I've gotten on my blog. So that's a really good way to connect. Awesome. And then, and then, People can follow you on social media on, I know I follow you on, on, um, Instagram, um, and, and, uh, people can follow you there. Do you have other social media accounts that people can follow you on or? Yeah, I've got a Twitter account and, um, I've also got Facebook. So my Twitter account is la 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 Loren. All right. (laughs) So it's the same. My Instagram is la la Loren, and then my Twitter is just one extra law. So la 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 Loren. All right. Somebody had taken la la Loren on Instagram. I don't know. They knew. They knew you were going to take it. I know. So, so all right. So, uh, what's the one thing that you would like to share with our audience um, that that we may not have covered yet, or um, you know, this is completely up to you, and, and nothing is off limits here. If if you had one thing to share with them. Huh. Um, I would say that there's nothing out there that's not worth trying once. (laughs) So whether, you know, whether that's jumping on a pair of skis or sitting down to meditate, um, or, you know, just simply taking out your old film camera or somebody else's camera or, um, you know, going bungee jumping, like whatever it is, it's always worth trying something once. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to check out more of your, your, uh, your photography with the film cameras and see what you, you're uh, posting there. I think we discussed that briefly during the, the mock interviews, um, at, up at Tuck, but I definitely need to take a look at that. So that's awesome. So, yeah, well, Lauren, I think this kind of brings us to the end of the show. It's It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, it's truly been an honor. So good luck well, with your training. You. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Good luck with yeah, your training. I know really you're great. kicking butt. Um, we look forward to watching you kick butt in everything you do. Uh, it's 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 awesome what you guys do for, for our country to represent our country in, in the world championships and in the Olympics. So keep doing it. And we look forward to seeing you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's like I said, it's been a pleasure for our listeners. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our show. Please check us out. Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, 
Pinterest, and Twitter. Thank you all and have a blessed day. (laughs) Thanks, John. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.